Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. The apostle says, But God being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Father, we thank you for uh, your grace to us. And we thank you, Jesus, that you're a God who raises the dead. God, that you, you not only raise the physically dead, but, Father, infinitely more significant, you raise the spiritually dead. And, Father, uh, many of us were in that place uh, not long ago. And, God, you have done that in us. And so, Lord, today I pray that you would draw our eyes to your own resurrection, uh, to the fact that you're not in a tomb somewhere in Palestine, but you're at the throne of God, that you, you are raised, Lord Jesus. Uh, you conquered death. You conquered the grave. You conquered sin. And, Father, I pray that you make it very clear to us today what it means that we, we are joined to you, what it means that we share in your resurrection. Father, I pray for the Holy Spirit to make those things clear, to speak those things to our hearts today. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, last week, if you happened to be here, if not, no, no problem. You'll, you'll be able to pick up real quickly what we talked about. But we gave some really bad news last week. And the bad news that we uh, delivered to, uh, to the congregation last week was that Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, tells us that you were dead. Okay? You were dead. Now, you might still be dead. We're not quite sure. Uh, you're the only one that probably knows that. That's between you and God. But, but the scripture made it clear that all of us, everybody in this room and everybody on planet Earth, everybody who's ever lived and ever will live, is dead in their sins and transgressions. Now, obviously, we're not talking about physical death. We're talking about physical death. We could, we could make the statement pretty, pretty securely that you're all going to die someday if Christ does not come back. But that's really not what we were talking about. What Paul is talking about and what we were talking about is something infinitely more important than physical life. You may say, man, is there something more important than, than, than your brain, you know, still waving and, and your, your heart pumping blood to your limbs and, and your lungs? I mean, is there something more important than that? And the Bible would say definitely yes, okay? Definitely yes. Yes, because what Paul is talking about is not physical death or spiritual death, or I'm sorry, physical death or physical life, but he's talking about spiritual death and spiritual life. And Paul says very clearly in Ephesians 2, everybody on this planet was dead spiritually, okay? And what that meant is you are not connected to Christ. You're not connected to the one who is life. All of us were facing the judgment of God. We were facing the wrath of God being placed upon us because of our sins forever and ever. We were facing the fact that if we die physically, Physically, while we're, while we're dead spiritually, we'll, we'll be dead eternally. And, and the Bible says that is the condition of all mankind. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. Not only that, but last week we learned that we're also in this rip current, okay? So we're spiritually dead, but we're also in this rip current of the world that basically says we don't care, <laughs> you know? Basically says, yeah, oh, that might be true, but that is really boring. You know, tell us something interesting. Tell us something about Tiger Woods, you know? Tell us something about, about Britney Spears. Tell, tell us something exciting, okay? That's the current of 
our world. There, there's this current in our world that says, look, this whole spiritual stuff, this whole being alive in Christ, this whole God thing, this whole creator thing, this whole cross thing, it is not important to me. It's not valuable to me. It's not my priority. My priority is my business or my, my job or my economy or, or, or my, 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 my pleasure or my relationship with, with so-and-so or the person I want to have a relationship with. Our world says all of those other things are valuable, but God is not. Christ is not. The cross is not. And, and the result of that, in Oklahoma anyway, is that people give a polite nod to Christ. Okay, The creator of the world, the sustainer of life, the, the, the judge of all humanity. And, and what our culture does is we tip our hat a little bit to God, but we're not interested in following him. We're not interested in pursuing him. We're not really interested in seeking him. And the reason is, is because we are fundamentally broken. That's the third thing we looked at last week. In verse 3, it says, Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. The Bible says not only are, are we dead spiritually, and not only do we live in this current of the world that says, I don't care about that, but, but, but we're also broken internally. Okay, We're broken internally in the sense that, that our wanter has malfunctioned. Did you know that you have a wanter? You have a wanter. Okay? Your wanter is what determines what you want. Okay? It's what you desire. It's what you love. It's what you crave. It's what you seek after. And the Bible says all of that in all of us is broken. So that we don't seek the right things. So that we don't pursue the right things. And folks, what all of that is describing, being dead, being in the rip current of the world, being broken internally, is the fact that we are sinners. And friends, I'm not sure what might be troubling you today. I'm convinced that probably in, in this just congregation right now, there's a lot of things on your hearts. A lot of things you came in, man, I'm burdened about this. I'm, I'm, I'm worried about this. This is overwhelming to me. And I'm not sure what that is in your life. But I can tell you that. Whatever it is, it's not your biggest problem. Now, that's not good news, is it? I'm sorry. That's not good news. Maybe, maybe it is good news because, because I think you've got to realize it is not your biggest problem. Being dead in your transgressions and sins is your biggest problem. And in fact, nothing else is a close second. Okay? Really, there's nothing else that's even a close second to that. Not health problems, not financial concerns, not relationship problems. There's nothing that even comes close to the problem described for us in the Bible in verses 1, 2, and 3 of Ephesians chapter 2. The fact that we're spiritually dead is the greatest plague of humanity. Because if you remain separated from Christ, first of all, think about this. You're separated from any help or hope that you might have for those other problems, right? I mean, I mean, what I believe the Bible says is that Christ is the answer. I believe that, that a relationship with Him, you, you can't be right with really anything else until you're right with Him. And, and so, first of all, you may come in here with lots of struggles and lots of burdens and lots of things on your mind. And you know what? None of those things can really be what they ought to be. You can't really be who you ought to be until you first write with Jesus. So, number one, it's your greatest problem because if you remain separated from Christ... You can't get that other stuff straight either. But ultimately, the biggest thing is, if your sin problem is not fixed, if your sin is not taken care of, you will perish. What does that mean? It means you'll be pinned down by the wrath of God in a place the Bible calls hell forever and ever. That's just what it means. That's not my opinion. That's what the Bible very clearly says. That, that's what that means. Folks, that's an incredibly bad problem. And you know what? If we were to end Ephesians right there, I'm so glad there's more than three verses in Ephesians chapter two. I'm glad there's more than last Sunday. Okay. Because if that were it, that would be really bad. Wouldn't it? Uh, I mean, what bad news? 
Uh, we, we, we should start not sing celebratory songs, but we sing funeral songs if, if that's it. If we're dead in our transgressions and we're in a rip current of the world where we're just flowing along with, with what everybody else says, which is we don't really care. And, and if we're broken on the inside so that we don't even want the right things, that's bad news. But, but fortunately, verse 4 starts with a, a, an incredible three-letter word, but. Isn't that great? You want to hear that after you get bad news, don't you? Have you ever gotten bad news? You know, you go to the doctor and he says, Man, your cholesterol is, you know, and your, your heart and, and this and cancer and tumor. And, and man, you just get the worst news imaginable. And you are so wanting the guy to say, but, aren't you? I mean, you just want that word to come next. I mean, you want him to say, but, you know, here, take this pill. You'll be fine. You know, we want that. You know, we want, there's a treatment. But there's, there's, there's hope. But there's a treatment. But there's recovery. But, you know, 99 out of 100 people in your case this happened to them i mean we want some kind of but after that right and we get that here in in verse four verse four says but god okay but god and and the verse ends down in verse five saying made you alive together with christ that's the but okay so so we're all sinners we're all in this rip current we're all broken internally but verse four tells us but god being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he's loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with with Christ. And you know what? That's exactly what a dead person needs, isn't it? I mean, if that's true that, that we're all spiritually dead, man, what, what, what better news than Christ can make you alive, right? I mean, really, that's the only news that really matters. That's the only news that you really want because that's the only news that, that, that's encouraging to a dead person, okay? I mean, what a dead person doesn't want to hear is you want a makeover. Great, you know? You're still dead. What a dead person doesn't want to hear is you get a new hair cutter. Hey, we got a gym plan for you. Or, hey, you know what? Here's a book to read. You know, we, we don't want any of that because dead is dead and nothing helps a dead person other than being made alive. And that's exactly what God did. He made us alive together with Christ. If you're a believer here today, there are many of you, I'm convinced you're born again believers. This has happened to you. Blake testified publicly today. It's his public testimony just a minute ago that he has been made alive. That he was dead in his sins and transgressions, but something has happened in his life. And this is between him and God. But he testified publicly just a second ago that something has happened in his life where he has been made alive by Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God dwells within him. And folks, if that's true of you, you're part of the greatest rags to riches story in the history of the world. You were dead and God made you alive. Now, whenever I hear a story like that, you know, you hear those stories on TV, you know, some some billionaire, you know, takes, you know interest in this guy and makes him CEO of his corporation or whatever, you know. And, and, and the question you always want to ask after is why, you know. I mean, you, you, know, you always think he must have saw something in that guy that was, you know, that was really, you know, he, he, he's, a, he's good at spotting treasure. He's good at spotting uh, un, untapped talent or something like that. And so you always wonder why. Why, why did you do that? Why, why did you pour your riches on that person? Well, let, let's ask that question of us today. Why did God do that? Why, why would God make us alive? Okay? Well, it's not because there was any untapped potential in us. It's not because he saw something that was good or, or beautiful or, or, or redeeming. But, but rather, verse 4 gives us the answer. And this is very important. Notice what it says. But God, and then it tells us why. Three things here. Being rich in mercy is the first thing he tells us. And then he says, because of the great love which he loved us. That's the second thing. And then at the end of the verse, he says, by grace you've been saved. Three things there. Mercy, love, and grace. Okay? So why did God do what he did? First of all, because God is rich in mercy. Okay? What does rich mean? You know what rich means, right? Rich means you got a lot of it. 
Okay, and so, so that says, why did God make us alive? Because he has a lot of mercy. Some of you are mercy poor, aren't you? Even lost puppies don't move your soul, okay? We were at Red Rock Canyon the other day. And uh, we were getting ready to go up this hike, this second hike that we were going to take. And we found a cool little trail. We started halfway up this trail. And there's this little puppy. It's, actually, I said little. He was young, but he was a big puppy. He was going to be a mammoth of a dog someday. But he was just a little puppy. He wasn't very old. He starts following us, you know. And we don't know where his home is. There's all these kind of people tenting and camping, campers down there. And he starts following us, you know. And we get halfway up there and he's still following us. And my family, who is rich in mercy, there are members of, members of my family that have a lot of mercy. They're much more rich than I am. I'm, I'm a little mercy poverty. God, God is working on me, but, but I'm just by nature, I'm, I'm mercy poor, okay? And, and so my family said, no, let's stop, let's stop, let's stop. You know, we gotta, we got to find this dog's haunt. I'm like, what? You know, we only got so much time and I want to hike. And come on, we're as a family day. This puppy's not part of our family, you know? But we had to stand there until they ran the puppy down and went camper to camper and found the owner. And then we could go on our hike, okay? Some of you are kind of like me. You're, you're not very rich in mercy. You know, when you drive by the people in Oklahoma City who are standing at the, in the, at the, at the off-ramp with the cardboard sign, you pull over. But instead of pulling out your wallets, you give them a lecture about how hard work redeems the day, you know? And then some of you, I'm convinced, will probably be cold enough to go ahead and send them a bill for your time, you know? You're not, you're, not very, you're not very rich in mercy. And I am so glad that God's not like me, and I'm so glad that God's not like you. Okay? Because if God were like me, and if God were like you, we'd all be in hell. That's the truth, isn't it? Because we're, we're, not, we're not, even the richest of you who are rich in mercy would not be rich enough to do what God did. But God is rich in mercy. He looks down upon people who don't want Him. He looks down upon people who are not interested in Him. That was me. And that, that was you. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you're only here today because somebody twisted your arm and made you come, you know? And, and you can identify with that. You say, I, I don't want God. I'm not interested in God. I'm not interested in worship. I'm not interested in the Bible. I'm not interested in, 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 in the scriptures and what God did. I mean, I'm interested in other stuff, but not this. Folks, God looks down upon people who are not interested in Him, people who are separated from Him, people who roll their eyes at Him, people who think He's boring, and God has mercy upon them. Psalm 86, 15 says this about God, But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and and faithfulness. That's who God is. That's the character of God. And God's mercy is incredible because it's so unexpected. It is so, there's no sense of duty that would compel God to intervene. You see, God is not, get this, God is not in any way obligated to help you. Did you know that? I mean, sometimes we get that wrong. Sometimes we we just think, you know what, God God needs to help me. I got this problem and God should help me. And if God doesn't, I'm going to be mad at him. I'm going to be angry at him. Because he's obligated. You know what, God's not. I mean, you, you, you've seen that wrong. You've not, you're, you've not read what the Bible says about God and what the Bible says about us because God is not obligated to help us. Now, there are times where we are obligated to help people, right? The, I, I agree with that. You know, there are times where, where when I drive by one of those guys and I don't stop and I try to stop as much, much as I can, but there's times where it's just not advantageous or something's happened. I'm kind of in the back of the line and the lines are... If I don't stop, I, sometimes I feel bad. Because I know that to some degree I'm obligated. Why am I obligated, you say? Well, I'm just obligated because I know I've had a lot better life than they have. 
And maybe, maybe they've messed up and they probably have and they've made a lot of choices that brought them where they are. But you know what I know? God put me, God gave me a family. God gave me a wife. God gave me all kinds of people in my life who have made me who I am. And if it were not for the grace of God, I'd probably be that guy. And so there, there's, a, there's a something in me that says I'm somewhat obligated. And that, that ebbs and flows in, in its degree, okay? But hear this. God is not at all obligated to help us. We are guilty. We're criminals. We're not good candidates for mercy. There is nothing in us to trigger the mercy of God. You see, when I, when I look at pictures from the Sudan and I see little kids that are starving to death, you know what? That triggers mercy in me. You know why? Because I look at them and I know I've got so much and they don't have hardly anything. And it's not their fault. They live just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And I live in the right place at the right time. And so there's something in me that triggers mercy to help them. There's nothing in that for us. There's nothing in us that would trigger God's mercy. Okay? Just as when you, just as when you see a cold-blooded convicted killer... And he takes the stand and he's brazen in his face and there's no repentance in his eyes. And he scoffs at the judge. Does that trigger mercy in you? What's that trigger? Justice. Well, let me tell you, when God sees us, that's what he sees. He sees the people that don't really care. But yet, because he's so rich, because he has so much mercy, God's mercy was triggered. And you know what? God's mercy has been extended to hundreds of thousands of millions of people for thousands of years. And the well is still not dry. Isn't that cool? God is rich in mercy. If we'd go on, we're not going to spend a lot of time here. But verse 4, he says, with the great love with which he loved us. God has a love that, 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 that goes beyond what we can imagine. A, a love that seeks to do us good. A love that is practical. Not, not our kind of love that sometimes like, hey, pat you on the back, love you, appreciate you, not going to help you, see you, I'm just trying to get away, you know. That's not God's kind of love. God's kind of love is practical. God's kind of love meets our needs. God is benevolent toward us. God, God is moved to action, incredible, amazing action because of who he is. Last thing there, we're, we're going to talk about this more next week, so I'm going to leave it for then. But it says, by grace you've been saved. Grace means you didn't deserve it. I would go further and say you didn't want it. <laughs> you didn't know you wanted it. You didn't know you needed it. God's grace. By grace you have been saved. Okay? So, because of His great mercy, because of His, his incredible love, because of His grace, what's He done? God has made you alive together with Christ. Now, let me ask you this. How do you make someone who is spiritually dead alive? How do you do that? How does, how does, God, does God do that? Okay? You're spiritually dead. There's something in you that's broken. You, you, your wonder's broken. Your, your God connection is broken. You're, you're content just to live as a rebel and just kind of do some good things. What, what, what do you need? What do you need? What makes you alive, folks? Well, one thing's for sure. You can't make yourself alive. Okay? No dead person ever makes himself alive. No dead person ever thinks of a real, some, some real smart thing in the coffin and is like, Hey, I know how to get out of this deal. You know? That never happens. No, no, no dead person ever says, you know what, if I just do something nice, is that, is that all falling by? Hey, buddy, I'm sorry about that, man. Remember when I did that to you? Apologize. Woo, bam, I'm alive. It, it doesn't have, there's nothing. I mean, obviously, that's, that's a stupid thing. We understand that. You, you can't make yourself alive. And in fact, Romans chapter 3, verse 20 tells us, for by the works of the law, in other words, by your good deeds, by your merit, by, by whatever you have in yourself, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes sin, the knowledge of sin. 
Folks, you're dead. And the only way to make you alive is to connect you with the one who is life. The Bible says Jesus is alive. John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life. He's life. Okay? Everything you desire, it's in him. Everything, everything that makes up life, it's in Jesus. It comes from Jesus. It, it streams from Jesus. It's in him. He told Martha and, and Mary at the tomb of Lazarus, I am the resurrection and the life. And so the only way for you and I to get our problem fixed is for us to be connected to Jesus. If you leave your lights on and you have a car that's like older than 10 years. See, some of these illustrations, technology just takes it out. I hate that. But if, if you have a car like 10 years old or so and you leave your lights on, okay, and you're in here worshiping, you go to Sunday school and you go back out, your car is dead. Your car is dead. Now, now what's the only, how are you going to make it alive? How are you going to bring it alive? There, there's nothing, right? Are you going to coach it? You're going to say, come on, baby, come on. You know, that works if it's turning over. Can I, <laughs> you know, sometimes that'll work then. You rub the dash and stuff. sometimes it does. But I'm talking about dead, you know, nothing, nothing. What are you going to, you're going to coach it? You're going to wash it? You're going to clean it? You're going to vacuum it out? Take the chicken nuggets out from under the seat? Is that going to make it alive? You're going to put new tires on it, new rims, shine it up, make it look pretty, wax it? None of that's going to work. The only way to make it alive is what? You've got to connect it to a car that's running, Right? You got to connect it to another car that's alive. You got to hook that battery to your battery and the life from there flows into you. In the same way, that's what God did with us. Folks, the only way for you to be made alive is for you to be connected to Jesus. Please hear that. Because there's so many people that are going to leave this world thinking something is not true. And that thought is, I can be good enough to be saved. I'll just do these good deeds and I'm a good person. I'm a good guy. And I try to help people. And so when I get to heaven, I'm just going to say, God, you know my life. You know, I did this, I did that. That's, it's not going to work. You're dead. It's like washing your car thinking it's going gonna, it's gonna to start up when the battery's dead. The only way is for you to be connected to the one who's life, and that is Jesus Christ. That's the only way. You've got to be connected to him. Connection to Christ has incredible benefits. And some of you. You really want to be connected in some way to Bob Stoops. You know, I, I know that. You know, I don't know. Does Bob have any kids? Does he have kids? I don't know if he does or not. Maybe. I don't know. He does. Okay, people are shaking his head. He does. Some of you, you know, if you've got a son or a daughter, you want them to go to you so they can maybe meet Bob Stoops' kids so that they can be married so you can be connected to Bob, you know, so, so that you can get good tickets, right? And maybe box seats and you can know things. That would be the best thing. For some of the guys here, you know things. You know, all the guys would be coming up preseason. What's going to happen? You know, what's going to happen? Who, who's going to start as quarterback? You know, you just, you'd want that. You'd want that connection. Connection and bring out, you know, others of you, you're not interested in that at all. But, and, and you wouldn't want to be connected to the coach of OSU. You'd want to go higher, T. Boone Pickens, right? Because that connection would not only bring tickets, but it would also potentially bring a lot of money, wouldn't it? You know? Well, let, let, me, let me tell you, far beyond the benefits of those two men, which would be small, in my estimation, and brief, to be connected to Jesus Christ. Two things, two incredible things. First of all, your sins connected to Christ. Picture it. That's what baptism just symbolized. It's a connection to Jesus Christ, okay? So that our sins are placed upon Him. He dies for them. He's buried in the tomb. He pays the penalty for our sin. The wrath of God placed upon Jesus on the cross. We looked at that Friday night if you were here. Wrath of God placed upon Christ so that we don't have to bear it. But it goes further than that, further than further than just 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 our sins and just the wrath of God. 
we get his life. We're connected to his life. You, you see, what is spiritual life? What are we talking about when we talk about spiritual life? Well, remember last week? What, what is spiritual death? Two things. It was separation and it was unresponsiveness. We know that when a person dies physically, we, we use this analogy, they're separated from, 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 from the rest of us, right? We can't talk to them. We can't be with them. We can't share things. We can't, we can't go to the reunion with them. We can't go on vacation with them. They're not going to be at home. They're not going to be cooking supper. There's a separation from life, okay? And in the same way, we are, as spiritually dead people, separated from God, separated from Christ. And when we're joined to Christ, we, we, we come into communion with God. We, we, we come into union with Jesus Christ. And that's why so much of the Bible talks about being in Christ and with Christ and together with Christ. But folks, if it just stopped there, think about this. This is amazing. If it just stopped with the cross, okay? If it just stopped with the cross, you'd still be dead spiritually, right? Your heart would still be corrupt. You still would not see and value and love God. It's until the resurrection. That's what we celebrate on Easter. The resurrection of Jesus Christ and that we have a living Savior. And we're connected to Him. And His Spirit lives inside of us. And He makes us alive. We share the life of Christ, the Spirit of God inside of us. So that, man, this is the best part. What happens to Jesus is going to happen to me. If I'm connected to Christ, think about this. Where's Jesus? He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Where am I spiritually? What what does it say? It says in the heavenly places. Remember we looked at that in chapter 1. Heavenly places means in the spiritual realm. There's another realm. There's another reality to this reality. Did you know that? There's another reality. Where did all the people go? That that we're here on this earth and aren't there now. They're in another reality, aren't they? They're in a spiritual reality. Where is God right now? Where is Christ? Where is heaven? Where is the angels? Where are the demons? There's a spiritual reality going on right now. And, and Paul says that if, you, if we've been joined to Jesus Christ, we are joined to Christ in his life, in that spiritual reality. We, we're joined to him. We share his life so that what happens to Christ will happen to me. Jesus' future is my future. I don't know what that's all going to entail, but I know this. I'm connected to him. I'm not worried about it. Because, because my life is with Him. I'm joined to Him. We sing a song. A lot of times we sing it in this, this first service. It's a great old hymn. And it says, One with Himself, I cannot die. My life is purchased with His blood. My life is hid with Christ on high. With Christ my Savior and my God. So spiritual life is being joined to it in a living union with Christ. A lot of ways the Bible describes that. Remember in John 15? John 15, chapter 5, I think it... Or no, 15, verse 5. It says, uh, I am the branch and you are the vine. Jesus pictures like a, a tree. And he says, I'm, I'm the vine and you're a branch. Now, what, what's the deal with a branch and, and, and a tree or a trunk or a vine? Well, the deal is it's connected vitally to it, isn't it? It's joined to it. And as long as the, as the branch abides in the vine, as long as it takes strength and, and life from the vine, it lives and it produces fruit. That's the picture. If you're vitally connected to Jesus Christ, as you, as you draw strength from Him, as you draw wisdom from Him, as you come to Him, as you worship Him, as you seek Him, His life flows into you and you begin to bear fruit. You begin to look different and act different. I'm not talking about better looking. I'm talking about, the, the, you know, you, your life changes. You become nicer. You, you're, not, you're not unforgiving. You're not bitter. You're not harsh. You're gentle. You put on love. You put on joy. That's the fruit of being connected to Jesus Christ. So number one, what does spiritual life mean? It means there's a union instead of a separation with God. Secondly, it means we are no longer unresponsive to spiritual life. No longer unresponsive to God. See, we talked last week, what it means to be dead is we're unresponsive to God. 
I was that way for 18 years. I give you the illustration last year or last week about being in, in an Easter pageant, seeing the depiction of the cross and the resurrection. And all I could think about was sin. <laughs> That's all you think about. I mean, it didn't move me at all. There was no conviction. There was no gut-wrenching change in my life. Why? Because I was dead. I was unresponsive to the word of God. I was unresponsive to the things of God. I was unresponsive to sin. I could just keep sinning habitually, day after day after day. I might feel bad about it. I might even say I was sorry for it, but I just kept doing it. A habitual pattern of sin. Why? Because I was spiritually dead. But here's what happens when you come to life. When you come to life, you're a new creation. That's what the Bible says. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old things have passed. The new things have come. What does that mean? Part of what that means is you are responsive to God. You, you feel the conviction of sin all of a sudden. Like never before. And, and it's the kind of conviction you're like, I can't live this way anymore. Anybody experience that? All of a sudden, you get saved, and you've been living this way for however many years, and, and man, you just know, I can't live that way anymore. I can't not do this certain thing also. You know, it goes the other way as well. When you get saved, you're like, man, i, I got to read my Bible, and i, I got to get involved in a church, and, and i got to hear the Word of God, and i got to worship, and i got to serve, and i got to give. There's something in me that compels me. What is that? You're responding to God. The Spirit of God, He's prompting, He's working, He's picking, he, He's showing, He's revealing, and you're hearing you're responsive. You've gone from being an unresponsive child to a responsive child. Some of you got, got those in your family, don't you? Kids that, you know, you could have a bullhorn, you know. Come back. Eat your vegetables. Nothing, man. Flatline, right? You got other kids that they respond to your command, right? Well, we're working on that, aren't we? You know, we're working. That's the goal. That's what happens in spiritual life. So we're joined to Jesus Christ. Made alive in Him. Okay, now here's a big question. Here's a big question. This is exciting. Okay, you ready? What's God going to do with us? What's God, what does that mean for you? All right, you're, you're joined. You're joined to Jesus. What's that mean for the rest of your life? You now, now see, with some people, that would not be a, a good thing, would it? I mean, for some people, that you wouldn't be excited about that, would you? I mean, think about this. Would you want to go on vacation with just anybody? There's some people that. It's not very exciting to you, is it? You know? Because they're a killjoy. Or they're grumpy. Some people are grumpy in the morning. Some people are grumpy all day. You know, do you really want to join yourself? You know, you want to be in the same RV with them for a week? You know? Is that appealing to you? Is that exciting to you? Well, let me just ask you this. If you're alive in Christ, how do you feel about that? How do you feel about that? Because that, that very thing, that scares a lot of people. That's a good question for folks because there's a lot of folks, they, they, they hold back what Blake just did. They hold back giving their life to Christ. They hold back being baptized. They hold back surrendering to Christ. You know why? Because they're just not sure about God. I mean, let's be honest. There's a lot of things people might give as, as an excuse, but it all comes down to they're just not convinced of the character of God, are they? They're not convinced that, you know what, if I follow God, if I seek after God, if I obey God, if I, if I pour my life into the kingdom, if I surrender my will to God, I'm just skeptical about what's God going to do with that. I mean, what's that going to mean for me? What's my life going to be like? Is it going to be boring? Is it going to be miserable? Is it going to be unappealing? You know, if I really follow this Jesus, and if I really follow the Bible, and if, if I really pour my life in, in, into the ministry, man, what's that going to mean for my life? Well, let me show you what it's going to mean. What's God going to do? God's got a plan. I don't know if you knew that. Verse 7. Look at verse 7. Okay? So that in the coming ages, 
Okay, here's, here's why God saved you, by the way. If you ever, ever want to know kind of the, not, not the, you know, the, the why in the sense of because of his mercy, his great love, his grace. But this is the why in the sense of what he's going to do. Okay, the, the design, the purpose. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now, I want to say two things about that. First of all, there, there's a couple things there. First of all, God, God has saved us that he might show us things for all eternity. That's kind of exciting. Many of you like movies, right? You like a show. You like a display. Okay. Well, let me tell you what God's going to do and what God is already doing. If you're born again, is God is displaying himself to you for all eternity. That's only going to increase, by the way. Okay. If you're born again, believer today, what's happened to you is that God has revealed his glory. He showed you himself. Okay. He showed you his goodness. He showed you his, his power, his mightiness. And he is going to increase that all throughout your life, all throughout eternity. When Jesus Christ comes back, there's going to be a huge increase because we're going to see him as he is. And then for all eternity, God is going to display the riches of his grace, the riches of his character forever and ever. Wow. You didn't expect that, did you? A lot of times we think, well, Pastor, what, why are we saying, well, God just saved you because for you. You know, you know what? You know what the real truth is? God has a bigger purpose. God, God wants to manifest his glory. God wants to show you his his incredible awesomeness. When I say things like that, is that something in you that kind of pulls back with that? Maybe. You know why? Because we think when we do that, it's bad. And it is. You know, if I tell you, hey, guys, I want you guys to come to church because I want to show you how great I am. If I ever say that, please leave. Find a different church. Okay. Because I've gone off the rocker, something's happened, uh, but don't stay here. Out, 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 okay? Um, that would be bad. That would be bad. Because it's not true about me. It's not bad when God does it. You know why it's not bad when God does it? Because that's what you need. That's what you need. You, you know what you and I really need? We need to see the glory of Jesus. You know why? Because we're so apt to worship the wrong things, aren't we? We're so prone to run after things that aren't really good, aren't really glorious, aren't really satisfying. And so, so God, God is giving us an act of grace in showing us himself, revealing himself to us. So, why? So that, that we'll, we'll worship the right thing, which is him. Now, here's the second part of that, which is the really cool part, okay? The way that God seeks to demonstrate, the way he's going to show us his glorious nature is by pouring out kindness upon us. Did you, did you see that in there? Look again, look again. You're going to want this. This is going to be one to eat dinner on. Are you ready? Verse 7. Verse 7, so that in the coming ages, is what God's going to do, he might show, he's going to display the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness. You see, kindness is, is the way he's going to do that toward us in Christ Jesus. What is kindness? You know what kindness is? Kindness is the practical aspects of love, okay? You love somebody, you know, you know the way you show that? You show that in kindness, don't you? I mean, you show it in commitment and other things. But, but one, of the, one of the big ways you show that is through acts of kindness. You know, think, think about it. Some of you are really creative with this. I, I'm probably not so much. But, but you know, I, I love my family. And so I try to show that in acts of kindness. Now, now it's different for each one of them, right? For my wife, it, it, it's buying her shoes. You know, she likes shoes. And, and, and I, she likes, I, I don't know that she likes so much shoes, but shoes are something I can 90% of the time hit a home run on, you know? 
dresses, things like that. I'm, I'm about at 3%, I think, uh, is, is where I'm at as far as success. And so I go to shoes, you know, because I know, know the size and I kind of know what she likes. And so, you know, we got our income tax return this last week. And so I went on, online I got her some new hiking shoes, you know. It's one of the ways I just show her I love you. You know, I want to show you an act of kindness, you know, bringing her sonic drinks. That's a, that's a way I can show kindness to my wife. It's a way I can show love. She, she likes that. I, you know, be creative in what they like. For the kids, it's, it's, it's bull riding, you know. Uh, bull riding on the, not real bulls, but like me on my hands and four, hands and fours. Okay, we're about done. Hands and feet, knees actually. Okay, that, you know, they like that, right? I mean, it's just, if right now, the bigger kids, not so much. Hannah and Addie kind of over that. But the little kids, they still line up. You know, we take turns until dad's exhausted. About, about a minute and a half is what it takes, I think. And, and but, you know, it's one of the ways I show my kids I love them. Go to Bowling Springs. But, you know, here's the deal. I kind of come to the point where I'm kind of out, you know. I'm out of ideas sometimes and not very creative. And God never runs out. Isn't that great? Think of God's kindness, okay? Think of the creative ways that God for all eternity will show his kindness. I mean, just, just since I've been saved, I just think back of the, of the ways that God has showed his kindness to my family. And I'm amazed. I mean, I'm amazed at just the different ways that he has moved us and shaped us and, and formed us and done things in our life and taken things out of our life and put good things in our life and, and helped us to love one. I mean, just God has, has just in, in a thousand, a million creative ways already showed his kindness. But, but the, what verse 7 says is for all ages, for ages upon ages, eternity upon eternity, I'm joined to Jesus Christ. And what's God going to be doing? He's going to be showing me, exciting me, wowing me with his glory and then sh- giving me acts of kindness to prove his love, show his love. Friends, that's exciting. Two ways God, God, God uses to, to, uh, to describe this in verse 7. Riches and immeasurable. You see that? So in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches. What, what are riches? That means God's got a lot to work with. Okay? I mean, that'd be one of the cool things about having a lot of money, wouldn't it? Is you, you'd really have a lot of different opportunities to really show kindness to people. I mean, in a lot of creative ways, couldn't you? You know, I mean, that, that would be great. Well, God, God's got all the riches in the world. How much does he have? Verse 7 says, immeasurable. What is immeasurable? It means it never ends. You'll never get to the end of God's creative ways to show kindness to you who are joined to him for all eternity. For all eternity. Let me make a couple applications. For those of you who can say, I am alive with Christ. And you can only say that if you're joined to Jesus, if you're joined by faith to him. We'll talk next week about how that, how that union comes about, but it comes about through faith. Faith is treasuring. Faith is, is trusting. Faith is saying, Jesus, I believe you're, you are better than everything else. And I'm going to turn away from my sins. I'm going I'm to follow you. I, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust that you are who the Bible says you are. Everything. I believe that. Okay? That, that's how we're joined to him. And for those of you who are joined to him, listen, nothing, nothing, nothing is too big for you to overcome in your life. Isn't that great? You know what Easter should do? Easter should bolster your confidence. Yeah, you struggle with confidence in your life. Anybody in here kind of struggle with, with just being confident about the future, confident about where your life's going? You know what? If you're a born-again believer, if you're joined to Jesus Christ, you, you should have no struggle with confidence. You know why? Because the hardest thing in life has already been done for you, okay? You were dead. You were, you were dead, and God made you alive, okay? 
Don't you think you can trust him with your job? You know, if you've got a doctor and you die, you know, you're one of those do-it-yourselfers and you're, 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 you're going to install a ceiling fan and you've got to do something with the electricity and you've got to go out to the pole to shut something off and you're like me, know nothing about it and you try it and, and you, you get electrocuted and you're dead. You're dead. And they haul you to the ER. They call the ambulance and he comes and they call you to the ER. And you've been dead for a couple hours when this doctor comes in. And he comes in and, and he does something, you know. Well, I don't know what he does. He pulls out the paddles. He does something. He, he, he gives you something. He shakes you. He Whatever. He makes you alive. It would be silly for you to go into him next week and say, God, Doc, I, I got a little cold. What do you suggest? And he said, well, I suggest this. And you'd be like, uh, I'm going to get a second opinion. This guy brings you back to life. I think you ought to listen to him about your sniffle. If God, if God has given you spiritual life, don't you think you ought to listen to him about your money? Don't you think you ought to listen to him about your parenting? Don't you think you ought to listen to him about... You think he knows what he's talking about with your marriage? What do you think? Could, could he know? I think he does. I think we ought to trust him. I think we ought to not only trust him, but we ought to have incredible confidence in where he's leading us. Folks, because the worst possible condition imaginable has already been fixed by him. It would be ridiculous for us not to trust him. Folks, there is life in nowhere and nothing else but Jesus. You know what the Bible says in 1 John? It says, this world and everything in it is passing away. Do you know that? It's all passing away. There is one source of life in the universe, and that's Jesus. If you're here today and you want life, you, you want life not only now, but you want it for all eternity, I can tell you definitively, it is only in Jesus. It is only in you turning away from whatever you're trusting in, whatever you're living for, whatever you're banking on, and you turning by faith to Jesus Christ and putting your trust in what He did for you on the cross, putting your trust in His resurrection that He lives, and that God will join you to Him as you put your trust in Him. If you're already a believer, hey, you know what? Our life is in Christ, isn't it? So what should you do? Well, you should do what John 15 says about the whole branch and vine thing. Abide in Him, right? Don't, don't, don't get saved. Don't get joined to Christ and then try to find your life somewhere else. That's silly. If He's brought you to life, keep abiding in Him, huh? Keep drawn from His Word. Keep drawn from prayer. Keep drawn from the people of God. Immerse yourself in the life of Christ that you may have life indeed.